This episode is sponsored by Robin. If you're still using dictation or scribe services to do your clinical documentation, it's time for you to meet Robin. Robin develops all the notes and codes for your patient visits behind the scenes so you can truly focus on patient care. Robin's documentation is also more complete thanks to its one-of-a-kind smart assistant device. With Robin, you even get protection for your whole practice, including medical liability defense and audit support. Robin is the only documentation solution tailored for orthopedic surgeons. It's also the most affordable. Visit robin.co slash orthobullets to learn more. That's robin.co slash orthobullets. This episode of the Orthobullets podcast will go over the topic of high-pressure injection injuries from the hand section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. High-pressure injection injuries are a traumatic condition characterized by extensive soft tissue damage associated with a benign high-pressure entry wound. Diagnosis requires obtaining a careful history and inspection of the digit involved. Treatment involves emergent surgical debridement. Now, let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, the incidence of these injuries is relatively rare, making up 1 in 600 hand traumas. As far as the demographics, most high-pressure injection injuries are common in young male laborers in industry using paint, automotive grease, solvents, and diesel oil. As far as the location of these injuries, the non-dominant index finger is the most commonly affected digit, and it makes up greater than 50% of the injuries. As far as the pathophysiology, the mechanism of injury involves an injection force delivered from 3,000 to 10,000 PSI and up to 400 MPH. 100 PSI is enough force to break the skin. The four main components of the pathophysiology include 1. The initial injury, 2. The chemical irritation, 3. Inflammation, and 4. Secondary infection. As far as the pathoanatomy, these injuries lead to dissection along planes of least resistance, that is, along the neurovascular bundles. Vascular occlusion may lead to local soft tissue necrosis. As far as the presentation of these injuries, it's important to document the duration since the event during your history taking, and keep in mind that the time to physician evaluation averages nearly 9 hours. It's also important to know the material that is injected. Symptoms may include minimal or no pain at the injection site, however pain and paresthesias eventually occur. On physical exam, inspection may reveal the entry wound, which is often benign-looking, and remember that only one in four initially present to the ED. Eventually, the finger becomes bloated, edematous, tense, pale, and cold. As far as imaging, radiographs may be useful to detect spread of radio-opaque dyes or paint. As far as treatment, this can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management involves tetanus prophylaxis, parenteral antibiotics, limb elevation, early mobilization, and monitoring for compartment syndrome. Indications for non-operative management includes for injection of air, water, or chicken vaccine. As far as the outcomes of non-operative treatment, 50% of injuries treated non-operatively will ultimately require an operation. Delayed surgical management is associated with higher reoperation rates and post-operative complications. Operative options include irrigation and debridement, foreign body removal, and broad-spectrum antibiotics. Keep in mind that most cases require immediate surgical debridement. As far as outcomes, there are higher rates of amputation that are seen when surgery is delayed greater than 10 hours after injury. Also remember that 48% of finger injuries require amputation. 
Now let's go over some of these techniques in a bit more detail. Some non-operative considerations include tetanus prophylaxis, parenteral antibiotics, where you will have gram-negative and gram-positive coverage, limb elevation, early mobilization, pain control, however, keep in mind to avoid digital blocks and ice to prevent decreased perfusion, and finally, make sure you monitor for compartment syndrome. Operative options, again, is irrigation and debridement, foreign body removal, and broad-spectrum antibiotics. The approach involves Brunner-Palmar digital incisions and or a mid-axial incision, where you will have full exposure to the zone of injury. The technique involves wide debridement of all involved tissues, decompression of tissue compartments, exploration and incision of tendon sheaths, removal of all injected material, saline irrigation, and repeat IND at 24 to 72 hours. Complications include postoperative infection, where 42% have positive cultures and most are polymicrobial. Some complications to keep in mind include amputation and infection. Amputation rates approach 50% with oil-based paint injection injuries. As far as infection, delayed treatment increases risk of postoperative infection. Remember that necrotic tissue is a good culture medium for bacterial growth. And finally, remember that infection might be lower with organic solvent injections as they do not support bacterial growth. As far as the prognosis of these injuries, there is up to a 50% amputation rate for organic solvents, which include paint, paint thinner, diesel fuel, jet fuel, and oil. Some prognostic variables to consider include time from injury to treatment, force of injection, volume of injection, and composition of material. Again, the prognostic variables for a high-pressure injection injury include time from injury to treatment, force of injection, volume injected, and composition of material. As far as composition of material, grease, latex, chlorofluorocarbon, and water-based paints are less destructive. Industrial solvents and oil-based paints cause more soft tissue necrosis. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, A 36-year-old male was using a high-pressure paint gun when he sustains a high-pressure injection injury. There is a benign-looking entry wound. Which of the following variables would have the worst impact on his prognosis? And the choices are 1. Delay in surgical treatment. 2. Injected solvent was grease. 3. Injected solvent was water-based paint. 4. An entry wound of greater than 3 centimeters. And 5. Injected solvent was at room temperature. The correct answer to this question is 1. Delay in surgical treatment. So the clinical presentation is consistent for a high-pressure injection injury. Delays in surgical treatment are associated with serious sequelae. High-pressure injection injuries are characterized by extensive soft tissue damage associated with a benign high-pressure entry wound. They should be treated with irrigation and debridement, foreign body removal, and broad-spectrum antibiotics. There is a higher rate of amputation when surgery is delayed. Beckler et al. looked at the results of 14 surgically treated high-pressure injection injuries of the hand with a minimum of two years follow-up. Ten of the injuries required formal operative debridement and foreign body removal. Six required reconstructive microsurgical procedures, and one underwent digital tip amputation. They concluded that high-pressure injection injury to the hand is a significant problem, which can easily lead to serious sequelae and even amputation. Rosenwasser et al. report wide debridement of all involved tissues, decompression of tissue compartments, 
exploration and incision of tendon sheaths, removal of injected material, and saline irrigation are critical in the management of high-pressure injection injuries to the hand. They emphasize delayed surgery has been associated with increased incidence of morbidity and amputation. Moving on to the next question. A 46-year-old man sustains an injury to his left index finger while cleaning his paint gun with paint thinner. Examination reveals a small puncture wound at the pulp. The finger is swollen. What is the next most appropriate step in management? And the choices are 1. Elevation and observation. 2. Surgical debridement and lavage. 3. Infiltration with corticosteroids. 4. Infiltration with a neutralizing agent. And 5. Administration of antibiotics. The correct answer to this question is 2. Surgical debridement and lavage. So high-pressure injection injuries are associated with a high risk of amputation. The risk of amputation is highest with organic solvents. The presence of infection and the use of steroids do not impact the amputation rate. Amputation risk is lower if surgical debridement is performed within 6 hours. Elevation and observation would delay necessary care. Neutralizing agents may be used in specific situations such as hydrofluoric acid exposure or chemotherapeutic agent extravasation, but in high-pressure paint-thinner injection, the best outcome is achieved through early surgical lavage. Moving on to the next question. Which of the following substances is likely to cause the most soft tissue damage in the long term if injected into a fingertip under high pressure? And the choices are 1. Grease 2. Latex paint 3. Water 4. Oil-based paint and 5. Chlorofluorocarbon-based refrigerant The correct answer to this question is 4. Oil-based paint so this type of injury represents a difficult problem in hand surgery. The factors that most determine outcome after high-pressure injection injuries into the fingertip include involvement of the tendon sheath, extent of the proximal spread of the injected substance, pressure setting, and delay to surgical treatment. The other factor that likely is most important is the type of substance injected. Water and latex-based paints are least destructive. Grease and chlorofluorocarbon-based substances are intermediate, but aggressive surgical debridement can restore reasonable function. Oil-based paints are highly inflammatory and can cause such chronic inflammation such that amputation may be the only reasonable treatment option despite early aggressive surgical treatment. And moving on to the final question. A 42-year-old male diesel mechanic presents to your clinic three days after he was power washing automotive parts with a high-pressure solvent and accidentally hit the tip of his finger with the spray gun. The patient subsequently suffered a high-pressure injection injury to his finger. What is the most appropriate first line of treatment? And the choices are 1. Irrigation and debridement at the bedside using a digital block. 2. Immediate debridement in the operating room. 3. A dose of IV antibiotics in the ER, followed by a 10-day oral course. 4. Immediate fingertip amputation. And 5. Arrange for follow-up with a hand specialist. The correct answer to this question is 2. Immediate debridement in the operating room. So this patient suffered a high-pressure injection injury to his finger. These are uncommon soft tissue trauma injuries of the hand, which are frequently underestimated. The prognostic factors are the type, amount, and temperature of the material and the pressure of injection. Most of these hand injuries need to undergo immediate formal operative debridement and foreign body removal. 
This ideally should be done under a formal operative setting to decrease infection risk and to allow for microvascular repair if needed. Delayed treatment can lead to further soft tissue damage and ultimately amputation. The article by Beckler et al. looked at the results of 14 surgically treated high-pressure injection injuries of the hand with a minimum of two years follow-up. Ten of the injuries required formal operative debridement and foreign body removal. Six required reconstructive microsurgical procedures, and one underwent digital tip amputation. They concluded that high-pressure injection injury to the hand is a significant problem, which can easily lead to serious sequelae and even amputation. That's all for this review about high-pressure injection injuries. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website while going through the topic. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.